Hello and welcome to the second episode of Political Inquiry. We're a podcast put on by the Michigan Gailey, which is an LGBTQ plus news publication at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor about queer issues as they pertain to local politics in Michigan. I'm your host, Blake Bile, current senior at the University of Michigan studying political science and writing. And today we are joined by Michigan's first openly gay state senator, current state senator of the 11th district and candidate for Michigan's 7th state senate district, Jeremy Moss. In this episode, we will be talking with Jeremy about how his sexuality has influenced his career in politics, the attack on queer youth in schools, and campaign tactics used by Republicans against the queer community. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sound producer, Elena Mann, our script supervisor, Jackie Moreno, our social media slash graphics director, Atticus Spicer, and our sound editor, Drew McDonald, for their contributions on this episode. Without further ado, please enjoy. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, do you want to do just a little introduction for people that may not know about you or about your, your background, how you sort of got into politics? Sure. Yeah, no, I um, I am currently the state senator for the 11th State Senate District, which is in southern Oakland County, that corridor from DeQuinder to Haggerty. Uh, and then they redrew the lines to create the new 7th State Senate District, which kind of runs up and down Telegraph Road from northwest Detroit through Southfield, my hometown, uh, Bloomfield, Pontiac, and surrounding communities. Uh, and I'm serving my uh, first term in the State Senate, running for re-election, but uh, more than a decade ago, I was uh, elected as the youngest ever member of the Southfield City Council. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's kind of why I ran, uh, for office. I'm a lifelong resident of Southfield and back in 2008, I graduated from the other school of Michigan state <laughs> and was this, I was at a crossroads. The city was at a crossroads. I didn't know if I was going to move out of state and the city was having this conversation of how are we going to keep young people here, uh, to, to want to invest and grow in our community. And I was watching essentially a council of elders have this discussion. City council at the time was made up of 55-year-old, 65-year-old, 75-year-old, a couple of council members in their 80s, and the oldest local elected official in the state of Michigan was 93 years old at the time. And they were having a conversation on how to attract young people uh, to our city. Uh, and I'm watching this kind of, you know, this uh, political discussion come out, and I'm thinking, I don't need facts and policy papers and data to show me what a young person needs. I am a young person. So I thought surely there should be at least one young voice on the city council. So I ran uh, and actually finished first place in a crowded field of, of incumbents and challengers to become the youngest ever elected official in Southfield awesome. uh, at the time. It was exciting. Uh, and then um, I think another disconnect happened between what the city needed and what the state government was providing. And, and I just felt, well, you know, I'm a local official. I certainly want to go up to Lansing and better advocate for our communities uh, and, and ran for the state house of representatives when uh, the Southfield based state house seat opened up in 2014, served two terms there. And now I'm in the state Senate. Awesome. Awesome. So before you were running, how did you think your sexuality, even before the, the city council race, how did you think your sexuality was going to influence your politics? Um, or if at all, how did you kind of approach that? So I, you know, I'll even rewind a little bit. So I graduated from high school in 2004 and around 2003, 2004, I think there were some consequential things going on 
um, within the LGBTQ community and politics. Uh, two things that really made a huge impression on me. Uh, number one, there was a governor in New Jersey at the time named Jim McGreevy. And he was married to a woman and was found out to have had an affair uh, with a male staffer and came out as gay after that affair was exposed and resigned in disgrace. And then heading into 2004 uh, in Michigan, uh, there was a vote to place a marriage ban, a marriage equality ban in our state constitution. And it passed. So I had always been interested in politics. I was always kind of civically active. When I was right out of high school, I worked alongside our mayor, Brenda Lawrence in Southfield, and now our congresswoman. Um, I always followed politics. That's why I was the young kid watching the city council meetings to begin with. And with those two things, I, I really thought, you know, it was incompatible to be gay and in politics. Mm -hmm. There was no, I felt like there was no future for me. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like, you can't be an out official and you can't be out in the political sphere because the world is against us. And so it was really tough, uh, you know, and, and certainly when I ran for city council, I uh, was out to family and to friends, but it wasn't something that I really brought up on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. While I was on the city council um, is when things really began to shift. I, I served from 2011 to 2014 on the city council. I think our issues began to take more prominence. I think that the culture changed. I think that there was more acceptance. Uh, and then there were just more stories out there. And, and I was very impacted at the time of these, these stories of LGBTQ youth being bullied. I think that was kind of a wave of, of news coverage. Um, and there was this one kid um, who was bullied so bad that he killed us. Mm -hmm. And I remember they were profiling him and his life on the Today Show, and they interviewed his family. And his sister said, you know, after he had died, uh, there was a high school dance, and he really liked Lady Gaga, so we were dancing to Lady Gaga, and the kids that bullied him while he was alive started bullying his sister and his friends for memorializing him. Mm -hmm. So this kid is dead mm -hmm. and they're still bullying him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I really identified with that. Yeah. Because obviously he felt like there was no future for him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want anybody else to think that there was no future for them. And so I kind of took this up to, to chart this course and was very out when I ran for state representative in 2014. We were in this midst of a political discussion in Michigan at the time about um, it, you know, promoting LGBTQ rights, putting sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes in the state's civil rights law, but there was no LGBTQ lawmaker in Lansing at the time. So I ran kind of to certainly advocate for my community and deliver resources from the state, but also to provide representation yeah. and to be in that discussion. Um, I, I would tell people if you're not at the table, you're on the menu and yep. we were, and we were, um, so there are four out candidates that ran for uh, state legislature at the time. Uh, two of us got elected as only the second and third, uh, out officials in the state's history in the legislature, me and John Hoadley. So mm -hmm. it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm living my authentic self and I, I, and I know that people need to see it. People yeah. need to see it. Yeah, it is. I mean, 
for the queer communities to see people at the table, like you said, representing them is huge. It's it's all about having a voice, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And if we're not there, we don't have a voice. And like you said, right. being at the table, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. They were talking um, about us. Yeah. They were, and they're still talking about mm-hmm. us. Right. <laughs> um, but now that there is, you know, I'm the very first out member of the state Senate. Nobody mm-hmm. else has, has served and has had, had that voice at mm-hmm. the microphone, um, especially in this revival of LGBTQ hate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important that every single lie and distortion and myth is countered with a lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll get to that. All right. Um, we'll get there. But one thing that you mentioned is one of the things that influenced you or inspired you was sort of seeing the bullying and the resistance towards LGBTQ members. What kind of resistance did you face going into office during your campaign and then how has that translated now that you've been into office? Yeah, you know, so, you know, I, I, I think that LGBTQ people find success when they're out and demonstrate that they're just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Herbie Milk gave this line that I really subscribe to. Mm-hmm. It's coming out is the most political thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Come out where you work, come out where you shop, come out where you eat, come out to your friends, come out to your coworkers, mm-hmm. come out to your family, um, not just for your sake, but for their sake as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, having grown up in Southfield and serving on the city council and also being gay, uh, I think our residents found value that I was a good voice for Southfield, um, that I was a good voice uh, to be in the legislature. And so, you know, I I really didn't meet so much resistance. I've, I've had spats of hate and nasty comments and people who weren't voting for me and you just kind of knew why. But to a large degree, I think the community didn't see me as the gay candidate. They saw me as the Southfield candidate. Um, And that, you know, my lived experience as a Southfielder who happens to be gay is just as valid as any other Mm -hmm. Southfield voters experience. They knew that I was going to take the community's uh, voice up there with me. Um, And so I've always felt embraced by the community and I've always felt supported by the community. Uh, But again, as I said, you know, certainly was broader speaking the politics of equality was being bounced around in 2014 when i when i first ran and i also knew that when going into lansing everybody knew that we were going to have this historic uh two member gay caucus and that you know there were those who ran for office specifically to disrupt dismantle and prevent lgbtq rights from moving forward so i felt like there was a target on my back Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, definitely have gotten my fair share of fights uh, in Lansing with those who want to harm us. But for a while there, we, we had momentum. Mm-hmm. With marriage equality in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, we had um, uh, some Supreme Court decisions in our favor up to 2020. Um, and it just felt like there was momentum. There was acceptance. Mm-hmm. There was that Harvey Milk. We came out and, and it was the most political thing we could do. Now, this is as bad as it's been right now, this year. I'm telling you, and and we're experiencing it all, and I'm certainly, it's heightened in the the legislature, Mm -hmm. and it's heightened on the campaign trail. This is as bad as it's ever been um, since I've been in public office. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that there has been such, uh, you know, a progression, more people out, more exposure, more representation, and now we're seeing sort of like a kickback? Do you think it's just a reactionary sort of force, or, or what do you think? 
So number one, I hope it's not successful. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm counting on and I'm and I'm and I'm confident that voters will reject this, this hate. Mm -hmm. um, I really there is a difference between how I feel in the legislature from, from when I was first elected to how I feel now. I do feel like, you know, when I came in, maybe these issues weren't as popular, maybe. You know, there were still folks that, you know, hadn't known LGBTQ folks and, and uh, assumed myths and stereotypes about us. Mm -hmm. Now, when I speak, I do have a sense of confidence that there are more people who are with us than against us. Yep. It's probably the opposite way when I was first getting involved. But those on the other side and on the Republican side, mm -hmm. and you have to call it out for what it is. Um, you know, I think they're about, uh, they're, they're counting on this division. Mm -hmm. They're, they're counting on this, this, this fear mongering to, to give them electoral success. Back, you know, with 2004 and this marriage amendment and Jim McGreevy, it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it provided them electoral success. I think this is the year where we can, um, prove it wrong mm -hmm. that, you know, that that's the that 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 the rejection is going to be anti-LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. If you're anti-LGBTQ, you're going to lose elections. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that you know this this playbook won't work. Mm -hmm. It'll totally get rejected. But they're they're dusting off this old playbook that has worked in the past. Yeah. Um, division, hatred, fear, fear of a community you might not be a part of. But I just I I really hope and have the sense of confidence that. Uh, it can be rejected um, and really they'll have to actually have to offer solutions rather than yeah. so division. But, but scapegoat someone, exactly, right? <laughs> that's, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. I was um, watching the, the governor's debate last night and yeah. um, they didn't talk about any queer issues that I remember, but um, I remember Tudor Dixon, she said, uh, parents are really concerned right now about their children being taught sex and gender theory right. um, instead of being taught how to read and write and do math. And it it, it, it seems like a scapegoating tactic. And that's, yeah. I think, exactly what it is. Yeah. But my question for you is, what have you seen in, in Lansing? Like, how have you seen representatives and senators rely on that rhetoric? So you said that they're using it as a playbook. Now, what are some of those other tactics that they've been using? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an attack against people that they don't identify with. Mm -hmm. it's, and and you know, it's 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 for lack of being able to solve problems, they have to make somebody the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I and I and we've tried our best to put things into perspective. Um, uh, they've they've attacked trans youth mm -hmm. for whatever sport that they want to play on. In the last five years. The Michigan High School Athletic Association has identified that there have been 10 trans athletes in, in high school sports. Mm -hmm. So for five years, 10 athletes, it's about two, two athletes, two students uh, a year. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to flesh this out. Are these two students, this a trans tennis player, mm -hmm. you know, a trans golfer, mm -hmm. is that person really the cause of crumbling roads, of gun violence, of rising gas prices, of, of a, a, an attack on women's reproductive freedom? And I think when you break it down in that level, people realize how ridiculous this is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm, I, I really try to break it down on that level. Um, when, we, when we push forward our LGBTQ rights um, initiative to put sexual orientation and gender identity 
in our state civil rights law. Uh, you know, I broke it down to this level. If you would not discriminate against somebody for being gay or transgender or non-binary, you would not deny them services, if you would not fire them, if you would not evict them, then this effort doesn't impact your life. Yeah. If and, and I'm trying to translate it to this kind of this new round of hate against LGBTQ youth. If you would not bully a trans kid, harass them, shame them, then nothing that's going on in our schools impacts you. Yeah. Um, if you would, then Tudor Dixon is your candidate yeah. because she's going to enable you to be able to continue to harass LGBTQ youth. When you break it down on that most basic level, I think it resonates with people. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also a bill introduced um, which would force teachers to out students to their parents. Um, what are sort of the implications and the consequences of that? So there was there was a resolution. So the Michigan Department of Education has guidelines, and they've had guidelines to support LGBTQ students since about 2016. So this is not anything that's new, but of course, in this heightened attack against our community, um, this is what they're pulling out to kind of use as a as a wedge. And so they are uh, put, the Republicans put forward a resolution. Uh, to condemn the Michigan Department of Education for, for not supporting parents and because parents have the most foremost uh, uh, ability to protect the health, safety, and welfare of their kids. And if their kids are suicidal, surely, you know, we, we, all parents need all this information. So I took to the mic and I was like, you know, if some of you were parents to LGBTQ children, based on your rhetoric, based on your hatred of the community, based on you not allowing us to ban conversion therapy, based on you not allowing us to put civil rights protections into the law, based on your attack on LGBTQ youth playing sports, do you really wonder why some of these students are suicidal? Um, and, and, and we really want to put them in a more dangerous situation by involving you know, some of the people in their lives who are contributing to suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just ridiculous. If, if a student comes to a teacher and says, I'm being sex trafficked at home, mm -hmm. or if a student comes to a teacher and says, I, I'm, I'm being abused at home, we would never put the onus on the teacher to go back to the parent right. and say, hey, your, your child just said this, I want to let you know mm -hmm. that. We would protect that child. Mm -hmm. So if a child feels like they can live their authentic self at school because they're being hurt and harmed in their home setting, why must we out that child yeah. um, and cause even more grief for them? Um, and, and, and you know, all that boils down to is that you know they they continue to persist that you know being LGBTQ is a choice. Like somehow you know, 18 years old, an adult can now weigh the pros and cons mm -hmm. and make some sort of decision on on how they want to identify and what their sexual orientation is. So I took to the floor. I said, I'm 36 years old. You, you don't bother me. I'm a consenting adult. I'm in a committed relationship. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 I'm affable and you like to hang out with me because I'm making choices as an adult. But also, but also was an LGBTQ youth. Yep. I identify with these, these, these high school kids. And, and if you like me now, I, I was always gay. Yep. You know, if you're going to be you're not going to prevent a trans youth from being a trans adult. Um, there's no amount of junk science or harmful therapy or convincing or anything that is going to prevent a trans person from being trans. Yeah. So leave them alone when they're trying to figure it out, regardless of what the age is. Yeah. 
I think it's so interesting, the rhetoric that coming out is a choice or, or being queer is a choice. No one would pick, right? if it was a choice, no one would pick to be queer because of course, no yeah. one wants to be told by religious extremists, whatever group, you name it, that we're going to hell, that we're, you know, we're disgusting, our, right. our just existence is invalid. It, that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, so, so being in, the, in Lansing, um, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate your relationships with other colleagues? That must be really hard to talk, have these debates, and then they continually vote against you and your community. It's tough. It's a lot of compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. It's okay. a lot of, you know, I still was sent by those Southfielders, and now kind of this huge district I have in Metro Detroit to get things done. Um, and uh, it's a lot of what can I tolerate, you know, to get toward the goals that I'm trying to reach. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's been interesting since since I took office. I've seen a lot of anti-LGBTQ measures being put forward more now than years past. But one of the first things that came out was um, in 2015, Republicans put up a bill to allow a, any state-funded adoption agency to deny adoption services to uh, parents uh, based on that adoption agency's religious dogma. You said 2014? 2015. 2015, okay. Yep, 2015. Basically, the state contracts with some religious-affiliated adoption agencies, and state taxpayer dollars that are going towards these services, mm -hmm. but if it's a religious institution that discriminates against LGBTQ parents, the state was allowing them to deny services to LGBTQ parents, even though it's our tax dollars. Right, it's right. enshrining discrimination in the adoption process. And obviously, I was, I was there, I spoke out against it, I voted against it, and one Republican came up to me, and they all voted, for, every Republican voted for it, I think just about. Um, and one Republican came up to me after that vote and was like, I'm really sorry. I feel sick about this vote. Um, I, I, I had to vote this way. And, mm -hmm. and this, this, this is a vote that, that I'm really ashamed about. And I thought, okay, you know, they still took the wrong vote, but by being there, mm -hmm. at least that person knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. There was a face to what they were doing. Yep. There was, there was, you know, there, they had to face their consequences mm -hmm. and, and by being there, you know, they have to face the consequences of, of their actions. Um, and so I'm glad I'm saying more than just myself. I'm representing a, a community there. But it, it, it is difficult to compartmentalize, you know, to take the abuse and then to have to work with them on other issues. But at the same time, that also moves the ball forward. I have worked on bipartisan police reform proposals. I've worked on bipartisan housing proposals. I've worked on bipartisan economic development proposals and I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And they realized that I care just as much about all the issues that impact our entirety of our community. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, happen to be gay because, you know, gay people go to our schools, gay yeah. people and trans people drive on our roads. You know, queer people uh, want good jobs here in the state. Um, so I think that realizing that that is the LGBTQ agenda mm -hmm. as well, um, that it has actually brought some more people on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, being there and just being a face to, yeah. to kind of, you know, that, that's interesting to me that the, that Republican still voted for, yeah. for the, for the bill, but then came up to you. Was that like, was that right after they had voted? Yes. Okay. To apologize. 
And, I, and, you know, I could have been like, oh, you know, you hypocrite, yada, mm -hmm. yada, yada. But I felt like it was even more empowering that, you know, she could have just taken that vote mm -hmm. and never thought twice about it. Mm -hmm. But it had to sit with her and yeah. she had to think about what she was doing and who she was impacting. And I, and I think that by being there, it has moved people to not have to take these votes away from the community. They have to take these votes in front of the community and find real people that these are harming, that these votes are harming. Yeah, it, it must be a hard thing. I mean, that would be draining on the soul. I think the, one of the hardest things too is, is that there's no other LGBTQ senator. Mm -hmm. uh, so when these issues come up, I feel the weight of the community on me mm -hmm. and I have to just tr trust my lived experience mm -hmm. and my gut feelings that I'm doing the right thing and I'm saying the right thing. Yeah. Um, it's very isolating. Yeah. Um, it's very, very isolating uh, at times. Um, those are the hardest days mm -hmm. um, uh, when, when this stuff comes out and all eyes are on me from our Democratic caucus of what sh should we do mm -hmm. to the Republican caucus, you know, looking at me, what is he going to say? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the isolating feeling, I think, is, 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 is the worst part of it, which mm -hmm. is why it is so important for people to run for office. Mm -hmm. It is so important. Um, we belong in every room that decisions about us are being made. Um, and uh, it, it is so important for more people from the community to get involved, to share our lived experience, to, um, uh, to, to advocate um, and, and be a part of the decision-making process. Yeah, it, going all the way back to the beginning, just having that voice and being able to express that voice is huge. Yeah. Um, I guess what I want to move now to, um, I'm going to read a quote um, from one of the bills that you introduced um, that would have had the state reaffirm June as Pride Month. Mm -hmm. um, and the Senate Majority Leader, Mike Shirley, um, gave these edits to you. Um, and the quote reads, quote, though not every citizen in Michigan agrees with the lifestyle of the LGBT community, it, it is agreed that every life is special, precious, unique, and loved by the creator and every person is created in God's image. What have, what have you noticed that's back driving or the, or the power source to this sort of religious rhetoric against LGBTQ members? Yeah, let's even rewind further. So, you know, we can introduce commemorative resolutions to declare whatever month or whatever day or whatever week, anything. Mm -hmm. I have literally voted on colleagues' bills to declare October as Apple Month, mm -hmm. July as Ice Cream Month, mm -hmm. Uh, a day in June is pollinator week. Really care about those bees. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so every year these these bills pass without any sort of controversy. Mm -hmm. These resolutions, I should say, pass without any sort of controversy. Mm -hmm. uh, but every year since they've been in office, we've introduced a resolution just to declare June as LGBTQ Pride Month. Mm -hmm. um, to acknowledge that the community is here, mm -hmm. it exists, it contributes civically, culturally, and economically to the state of Michigan. And every year, instead of adopting it, it as, as it is, they send it to what's called the Government Operations Committee, which is kind of this legislative graveyard. It's where bills go to die okay. and resolutions go to die. So it was almost like uh, it was it, it, our, our resolutions either got sent to government operations or to families, children's and seniors. Okay. I, for some reason, that's another community or another committee where they buried uh, mm -hmm. LGBTQ bills. 
So every year that we would introduce this resolution, me and John Hoadley, who's the other LGBTQ uh, state representative at the time, we would take bets which committee it would get mm -hmm. read in because we knew it was never going to pass. Mm -hmm. um, and it was ridiculous. They gave us every excuse under the sun why not to take it up. One year they told us, well, June ran out without enough time to, to vet this proposal, even though Ice Cream Month has has no problem. Mm -hmm. So the next year we introduced the resolution to declare June as Pride Month in January. Mm -hmm. Give them a plenty of time. Yep. <laughs> they still didn't take it up. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 2020, we were going through this really tough June, all of us, George Floyd was murdered. There was this racial reckoning, um, in this country. And, and I felt like the language of our resolution that year just didn't quite cut it. It was like, you know, everybody belongs in Michigan, yay, diversity, happy pride month. Mm -hmm. So we strengthened our resolution. We put in, uh, middle of a pandemic, we, we talked about the epidemic that of HIV AIDS that our community has, has suffered through. We talked about in the middle of kind of this conversation of, you know, police interactions that the pride movement began with uh, uh, harassment and bullying from police um, and, and the Stonewall uh, rebellion um, in talking about uh, the most marginalized members of our community. We named Marsha Johnson as one of the, uh, you know, huge liberators of the community um, and, and really kind of added a lot of punch and truth into this resolution. And I spoke every single day in June of 2020 on this resolution, knowing that they've never adopted it. But at least I, I wanted to be able to, in that moment, add to this intersectionality of we're listening to diverse voices, we're realizing there are inequities mm -hmm. in society, in terms of policing, in terms of opportunity, and, and heading from George Floyd into Pride Month, I felt like there was this connection here. Um, at the end of June, when they didn't adopt it, I had some Republican uh, senators come up to me and say, next year, we're going to get this done. We're listening to you. This is important. Mm -hmm. So the next year, I introduced it. A strengthened version too mm -hmm. and it was adopted awesome and it was felt really good yeah uh and it felt like wow we we you know it's a small win it's mm -hmm. symbolic it's it's a piece of paper that doesn't do anything yeah. it doesn't doesn't change the law it doesn't require anything of them mm -hmm. um but it is symbolic in that it, it got to where it needed to go mm -hmm. it was a win for the community um, it was recognition that we are, are we are here and we are valued as Michiganders. Mm -hmm. So in June of 2022, because that was June of 2021, in June of 2022, I thought, okay, I'll just take the same language, you know, adapt it to this year. Yep. Uh, and was told, well, there's some there's some language that Republicans want to add to it. And in addition to uh, this line that you wrote, where you read, which is ridiculous, they wanted to actually uh, strip out references to the lgbtq community within the the pride month resolution a pride resolution with exactly no, no mention they wanted to all lives matter the pride month resolution yeah. uh they want you know i think i had a line whereas you know the lgbtq community contributes economically culturally and civically they wanted to say everybody contributes uh yeah. economically culturally and civically they wanted to eliminate the hiv uh aids line in there for whatever reason um and 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 i said no I said, I said, you know, we, we pass these resolutions all the time. Well, we would never have a, a Greek American Heritage Month resolution that would read, though not every citizen in Michigan agrees with the lifestyle of the Greek community. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so why should why should my community tolerate an anti-LGBTQ line yeah. within uh, the Pride Month resolution? And it was not adopted. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where we stand now. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, get this done next year with a new majority, a Democratic majority in the state Senate. But it, it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, when I keep calling this resolution symbolic, it's also symbolic of the struggle. Mm -hmm. You make progress, you gain momentum, you gain acceptance, and they move the goalposts. Mm -hmm. They put more hurdles up. Mm -hmm. They find new avenues to discriminate. Um, this is this is discrimination against me. Mm -hmm. I can't. I'm the one that can't get my resolution passed. But we pass every other community's resolution without fanfare. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's frustrating, but it's the same playbook. Yeah. It's the same playbook of how can I change the rules mm -hmm. and make LGBTQ people go through more hoops and hurdles in order to to gain acceptance and equality and recognition. And, and that's the thing, you know, you know, they always talk about, well, you know, this community wants special rights. Mm -hmm. This community wants something extra. Mm -hmm. I wasn't asking for anything else than any other community has had. And even anything more than what they passed for us last year. Mm -hmm. It was the same document, not a period or a comma misplaced. That was that was uh, that was approved the year before. Um, you know, our community is literally not asking for anything more than anyone else has, but we're not going to accept anything less than equal protection under the law. Yeah, bare minimum. Yeah, right? bare exactly. Minimum. With that kind of resistance in in the legislature, why do you think there has been a change from last year? I mean, there's the same senators, right, that yeah. passed it last year. Why? It's because it's an election year. It's because it's an election. Year. Okay. And I, and I think it just goes, just goes to show, you know, these issues are contrived. Mm -hmm. These issues are manufactured. Mm -hmm. We haven't changed. Mm -hmm. There have been trans kids since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's now more accepted. It's now people have the confidence to come out. You know, whereas when I was younger, I didn't think I had a future. They now have a future. They see role models. They see people in these in, in every sector that have the, the pathway to be successful and they want to live their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. um, so our, our community hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Maybe we become more visible, which is a good thing. Yep. But they're the ones that are using some manufactured um, hate toward our community just for electoral liftoff. Mm -hmm. So it's really incumbent upon us to show that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, we were saying hate won't win. Yep. We have to really demonstrate that hate will not win, yep. that these tactics, this is their one last stand, that, 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 that if this doesn't work in this 2022 election cycle, they can at long last bury mm -hmm. this electoral tactic because while they, you know, try to get some lift off, it's harming people. Yeah. It's harming people. It's harming kids. It's harming the community. It's it's putting hate out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's putting a target on the back of the two trans kids that play on yeah. whatever sports. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It um and that's I mean, could you speak a little bit on on why these elections are so important yeah. for, for those reasons? There's a there's a way out of this madness, mm -hmm. and it's to vote. Mm -hmm. There's a way out of um, there's a way to get equality advocated for. There's a way to move and change the law, and it's to vote for pro-equality candidates. Mm -hmm. um, we have we have a, a, a slate of candidates that stands with and is a part of our community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from Gretchen Whitmer to Garland Gilchrist, who sh who have marched in the Pride Parade. We've never had a governor or lieutenant governor march in the Pride Parade before. Um, to Jocelyn Benson. 
who uh, you know has done everything within her authority to make it easier for folks to get a driver's license that matches who they are. To Dana Nessel, who is like literally our hero. Yeah, she she's the one who brought marriage equality to the Supreme Court. She's the one who brought discrimination protection uh, to the Michigan Supreme Court. She is from our community. She has our lived experience. To our courts, where we have to, to our courts, to our courts, <laughs> where we have to put forward those who we know believe uh, in, in equal protection under the law, including my friend Kyra Harris, uh, who is running for the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, so it matters everywhere, um, and so we can vote out of this madness. That's it's it's good to hear, and it gives me optimism. Um, my last question for you are besides for for Kyra Harris Bolden. What are some other candidates that um, people should look into this election cycle? Yeah, so we are going to actually have a historic LGBTQ caucus. So as I said, uh, there had been one out legislator prior to me being elected who was term limited some six or eight years before I, I came into office. So when John Hoadley and I came into the Michigan House of Representatives, it was just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in the Senate is just me. Mm -hmm. um, and in the House, of course, we have Lori Podsky and Tim Sneller. Tim Sneller is term limited. We are on the path to having as 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 possibly as many as eight uh, LGBTQ legislators. It's, it's just like remarkable mm -hmm. from just the two of us trying to figure things out on our own to um, candidates all throughout the state. We have Jason Hoskins, who actually will represent a portion of Southfield. So we've got a good history there of good state representatives from Southfield. Uh, we have Mike McFall in, in Hazel Park in Detroit. Uh, we have Noah Arbit in West Bloomfield. We have Jason Morgan uh, in, in based out of Ann Arbor. Um, we have Emily Devendorf um, in the Lansing area. Um, we just, we will have hopefully this robust an active LGBTQ caucus, and 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 broader in broader terms, uh, we have to get a Democratic majority in the mm -hmm. Michigan Legislature. Uh, Republicans are not champions of these issues. Um, and we've had a few, but by and large, we know where they stand. We know where Tudor Dixon stands. We know where the emerging Republican leadership stands. So, if you are looking at your ballot, um, you've got to vote. Uh, on the Democratic side, and we have a chance to take back the state Senate. So the state Senate has been in uh, Republican control for 40 years. That's even longer than I've been alive. Yeah. Uh, so for a generation and longer, Republicans have had the veto power over all of our equality issues. And if you can't reason with unreasonable people, you got to vote them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like I said, it gives me hope. Thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your perspective. Um, I wish I wish you the best of luck on your campaign trail and um, good luck in, on November 8th. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up our second episode of Political Inquiry. Tune in next week for our interview with State House candidate Jason Morgan about queer and trans representation in the Ann Arbor community. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share us on your social medias and with your friends and family. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at InquiryPod. Thank you again for tuning in, and until next time, take care.